Praise the Lord. Amen. Why don't we just remain standing just for a moment and, and let's, let's pray before I get started today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit to take the word and make it real to us this morning. Lord, I pray for every single person that's come out to this meeting that, Lord, you would touch them in a deep and profound way. All of us need a touch from you. Lord, we pray that you would bless us today with your presence. We thank you for the worship time. We thank you for everything, Lord, that you are going to do and all that you've done up until this point. And we pray, Lord, that you would be satisfied today that you were able to accomplish the purpose for this meeting because we were so open and our hearts were so open to be touched by you to receive what you have for us. So we thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Well, we want to honor your pastors today, and they have ministered many times at our church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Jacksonville, North Carolina is on the coast. It's the host city for Camp Lejeune, the Marine Corps base. Are there any former Marines here in the house? I'm, I'm, I'm listening for an oorah. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for right there. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. So we have thousands and thousands of United States Marines and, and a few sailors that are headquartered there with the Naval Hospital that are uh, all in our area, and so that's our main demographic. We, we minister to the military, and uh, the military has been, uh, been through a lot in the last few years, and we have a lot of folks that have been deployed many, many, many times, back-to-back -back deployments. So we've been able to take care of their families and take care of their loved ones while they've been on deployment. And it's been our privilege to minister to the military there. And God has grown the church and blessed that Pastor Phillips alluded to the fact that we have uh, actually four services on the weekend. We have a Saturday night service at 6 o'clock, and then we have an 8, 10, and 12. And praise the Lord, after many years of planning and working and going through lots of regulatory hoops, we have been able to get to the point where we're going to be pushing dirt here before the end of the month, hopefully our uh, heavy equipment will be out on a big piece of property that we purchased several years ago, and we'll be building a, a brand new uh, worship facility. It's about a half a mile up the road from where we are now. So we're very grateful for all of our ministry friends, people like the Dosics, that have come in and out through the years. Uh, one of our good friends that you're familiar with here that actually is responsible for introducing us to your pastors, Pastor Tim Bagwell, has been coming for 22 years now. Every year he comes. He was just with us at the first uh, part of March. And so we've got some things in common, some common DNA and a common vision. And we love your pastors, and we look forward to hosting them again at our church uh, in November. They'll be with us November 15th, 16th, and 17th. And so we're looking forward to that later on this fall. I wanted to introduce my uh, beautiful wife, Miriam, to those of you that were not here on Friday night at the Women's Conference. And women's meeting. So, Pastor Miriam, would you stand so that people can get a good look at you? And this is my this is my young wife. We've been married for 35 years, coming up on 36 years now. We met at uh, school just down the road in Wilmore, Kentucky, at Asbury University, and we were students there. And uh, we were both music majors. She was my accompanist. I was a vocal performance major, and she was a piano performance major and just a brilliant musician and she was my accompanist for all of my recitals and we've been married for a while now. We have three great kids. Our oldest is Elise. She's married to Tori Cummings and they live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Elise is on our staff. She does all of our graphics and all of our promotional stuff, our Twitter and 
Facebook and whatever else they do out there that I'm not familiar with. She's involved in that. And then our middle child is a son. His name is Evan. He's married to Britt, and he lives in Brooklyn, New York. And our youngest is Ariana, and she'll be married to Maurice on the 2nd of June. So we're in wedding mode and getting ready for that. And we're looking forward to having lots and lots of grandchildren. We don't have any yet, but we're told that that's the best part of life. So we're, we're eagerly looking forward to that. Now we got all three of these kids, almost all three of them married off now. Now it's time for them to get busy. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I want to read a passage of Scripture this morning. This passage of Scripture is found in Luke chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading with verse 10 and then uh, on through verse 17. And I'm chosen to uh, give this to you today from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And I believe that they're going to put this scripture up on the screen for us so you can follow along with me as I read. The scripture says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. How she praised God. But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman... A daughter of Abraham has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. As we get into this today, I want you to look at a couple of things. We notice right away that the Bible says that this woman was crippled, and she had a spirit of infirmity. And the word that is translated for infirmity in the King James Version of the Bible means to be weak or without strength. Oftentimes we associate infirmity with some particularly named disease. Someone has a sickness, they have the flu, they have cancer, they have this or they have that, something along those lines. But it just simply means that because this is on you, you're weaker than you should be. You should be strong, but you're not strong because there's a spirit of infirmity that has gripped your life and now you are manifesting weakness instead of strength. It means that this thing has robbed you of the power that God has designed into you for service, for living, so that you can live the abundant life and you can live the joy-filled life that God has called you to live. You can do what God has called you to do. You can be who God has called you to be instead of always excusing yourself because you just don't have the power, you just don't have the strength, you're too weak to do what God has called you to do. Webster's Dictionary defines the word cripple as someone who has been deprived of their capability for service. They've been deprived of their strength, their efficiency, or their wholeness. It's interesting that we were singing about how he touched me and made me whole. This woman would have been rejoicing to sing that song along with us today that she was weak but now she's strong she was not able to function but now she can function with efficiency she didn't have the power to do what God had called her to do but now she's filled with joy she's made perfectly whole when we talk about being crippled we once again talk about being infirmed or talk about having an infirmity 
or being a cripple. We talk about someone or think about someone in our mind's eye that has a cane or they're on crutches or they're in a wheelchair. We don't think of people that are able to freely move about, walking back and forth, in and out, actually functioning in life. We don't necessarily think about that. But we know that this woman, this woman had something that happened in her past. And we know that from the moment that she met Jesus, if you were to trace back 18 years, there was some incident, there was some moment in time where there was a, an occasion for her to, to, to have a spirit come upon her. And when that spirit came upon her, it robbed her of her strength. The Bible does not say that she had a physical injury. It doesn't say that she had a riding accident. She was on horseback and she fell off or she had a car accident. Of course, she wouldn't have been driving a car. But it doesn't say that she had some sort of physical injury where you would say, well, because of this, she can't stand up straight. Because that happened, she can't stand up straight. We, we don't know exactly what it was. But whatever it was, it wasn't something physical that they could say, well, pray for this lady because she had an accident. Pray for this lady because uh, something happened to her and, and because of that she, you know, she was injured. She has a spinal injury or something like that. Whatever it was, it was not a physical thing. But the result of this incident, whatever happened, it, it affected her spiritually because the Bible says on a couple of different occasions in this passage that there was a spirit of infirmity that came upon her and because there was a spirit of infirmity from the devil that came upon her she was not able to function normally she was not able to stand up it affected her spiritually and we know that it must have affected her emotionally when something is happening to us in our spirit it will affect our emotions and then it affected her physically and you can imagine that this woman had all kinds of different things that she was dealing with on an emotional level the Bible doesn't give us her name the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not she was single or married if we were to look at her and just suppose that this thing that happened 18 years previously had coincided with her already being married and already having children, can you imagine what it must have been like for her husband? This woman in a, in a culture like that was not able to function like other women. She wasn't able to go draw water like other women. She wasn't able to do the things that other women were able to do and had to do to provide for their household. So it must have put a tremendous strain on her relationship with her husband. What about her children? Her children would have looked at her and said, well, that's my mother. Well, everybody would have said, well, you know, my mom stands up straight. Why can't your mother stand up straight? They must have been asked questions that they couldn't answer. Why did this happen to your mother? What did your mother do to deserve this? Why is this happening to your mom? How come your mom is not like our mom? And they would have had no answer for their little friends as to why their mother was in this kind of a condition. And it must have been difficult for them. And they must have struggled between loving their mother and then being just a little bit embarrassed or a little bit ashamed of the fact that their mother wasn't normal. Her mother wasn't, their mother wasn't like other women, other mothers in the community. And that would have affected her tremendously. And she would have desired to be a better mom. And she would have desired to be a better wife. And there would have been no way that she could have really done anything about that. And so this went on year after year after year. So ladies, now when I talk about this woman, it makes you a little bit tense because you're thinking I'm going to talk about how weird women are and how strange women are and how susceptible women are to this and that and the other. And that's not the case at all because it just happens to be a woman here, but it doesn't have to be a woman. It can be a man. It can be a crippled man. It can be a man who can't stand up straight, a man who can't do what he'd like to do. 
a man who can't be the kind of husband that he'd like to be. A man who can't be the kind of father that he would like to be. Not because he has no desire, not because he doesn't know what that is, but there's something on him that is crippling him and preventing him from being who God has called him to be. It's interesting because the woman didn't cease to function. She was able to do things. We know she was able to do things because she was able to get herself out of her house and she was able to get up the road and she was able to come to church. She's in church. Isn't it interesting that she's still in church? After 18 years of being bent over double, she's still coming to church. She's still coming to church. She still wants to be in the presence of God. Isn't that something? She could, she could only operate, though, at, at about half capacity. She wasn't at full speed. She could, she could only stand up halfway, the Bible says, and we could use that as an illustration of probably the rest of her life. It wasn't just that physically she was crippled. It wasn't just that physically she could only stand up straight, but everything else in her life was going at about 50%. She was only able to be about half of the kind of wife that she wanted to be. She was only be able, able to be about half of the kind of mom that she wanted to be. She was only able to function in life at about 50%. But 50% is better than nothing, isn't it? And so then we're taught to praise God for what we have, and we should be thankful for what we have. And it must have been after 18 years of being in a position where she's gone to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and she's got, heal me, heal me, heal me, and God didn't heal her. So she has come to accept this, hasn't she? She's just that way, and that's just the way it is. And there's no point in getting upset about it anymore because 18 years have come and gone, and I'm still bent over double. I still love God. I'm still going to try to serve God the best I can, but I'm just not going to be able to do it like other people because I just can't. I can't stand up straight. Love to be able to stand up straight, but I can't do it. And this woman was continuing to function in life. It's amazing how we will settle for a certain level of activity in our lives even in a church family, and, and I look at my church family back in Jacksonville at River of Life Church, and you see that there are certain people that you believe, well, they have potential, and if only it wasn't for this, or if it wasn't for that, or if they could just get healed of this, or if they could just get over that, then, man, they would be a tremendous asset to the body of Christ. Think about what they could do if they could just stand up straight, if they could just get well, if they were just whole. Think of the accomplishments they would have and the success that they would make in the kingdom of God and in life in general if it could just be that way. But we're just thankful that they're here. We're just thankful that they keep showing up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And even church leadership, even myself as a pastor, can come to just anticipate the arrival of that person and watch them walk in bent over double and just be thankful, oh God, I praise you for sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. Thank God that they're here and, you know, they contribute and they do the best that they can. But we can, we can make accommodations for these things. We just make room for that person in our midst. We just make room for that infirmity in our lives. It's just the way it is, and there's no point in frustrating myself and trying to think about getting rid of this anymore. It's, it's, it's the theology that often creeps into our thinking, even when we're in a faith environment like this one, that just says, well, God is sovereign, and God can do anything that he wants, and so maybe for some reason God doesn't want to heal me. Maybe for some reason, this is actually good for me. Maybe I needed this. Maybe God's trying to teach me something. Maybe this is God's will for my life. If you come from a theology that is maybe a little bit more extreme in terms of the sovereignty of God, 
you would be hearing people preach and teach that whatever's going on in your life is the will of God because God is sovereign so God's permitted or God wants it for some reason God's ways are mysterious and we can't understand how God functions and it's possible that she was thinking all of these things thinking that I've just settled this with my own self and with God I just I love God and I'm going to continue to seek God and serve God the best I can but this is the way God made me to be and I guess there have to be some crippled people in the world and God is just uh, he's just using me as some kind of an example and she had come to accept it but Jesus didn't accept it did he and when Jesus saw her he didn't play around did he he immediately called her over and it must have embarrassed the pastor of the church because the pastor of the church came up with some spiritual sounding reason why this wasn't right because after all she's been hanging around for 18 long years like this and none of my preaching's been able to help her. And I've prayed for her, and nothing ever happened when I prayed for her. Now this guy comes in that we don't even know, and he just speaks a word to her, and then he touches her one time, and bam, after all these years in front of everybody, he's made me look bad. And he's raised her up now. She's healed. She's totally healed. And he just couldn't handle it. It was too much for his little fragile ego. He was one of these little snowflakes that couldn't take it. And so... He just got all bent out of shape over it and got all religious and got all, uh, you know, up in himself, you know, with, with how uh, this wasn't the right thing, uh, you know, to happen. So what, uh, what, what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say to her, listen, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now that's a great scripture and that's in the Bible. And that is something that the Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul because he had a thorn in the flesh. And this thing was not, he said, I sought the Lord three times for this thing to be removed. And he said, no, you're going you're gonna to be able to bear this and walk through this because my grace is sufficient for you. This is a different case, isn't it? This is a different kind of problem, isn't it? This is a spirit of infirmity. This is something that was, was weakening her, crippling her. It was something that was making her disabled and unable to be who God had called her to be. The thing that Paul was facing was not doing any of those things to him. He was still strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He was fulfilling his apostleship. He was running the race that was set before him, fighting the good fight, keeping the faith. This woman wasn't able to do any of these things because of a spirit of infirmity that was lashed onto her life. It wouldn't let her go. So Jesus didn't say, hey, just... Uh, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. No, he, he dealt with it immediately. We also don't see him having a big exorcism. We don't see him having a big deliverance thing. He just spoke to her. He just spoke the word to her and said, this is it. And then he touched her and bam, she was instantly healed. The devil couldn't take it. Whatever that spirit was, as soon as it got called out like that, it just left. It just got off of her and took off and just left and got out of her life immediately. The devil took advantage of this woman and he took advantage of her for 18 years to bind her and he crippled her in life for all of these years and we don't know exactly what happened, do we? The Bible doesn't tell us what it was, but something happened to her and it wasn't a physical injury and if she had been alive today, she would have gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and they would have done MRIs, they would have looked at her spine, they might have even told her that it was all in her head. They might have even said, listen, we throw up our hands. We can't find any medical cause for her to be this way. We have absolutely no idea what the root of this problem is. We think it must be psychosomatic. We think that there must be something going on in her head or something going on in her mind. 
Something's happened, but she's doing this to herself. But she wasn't doing it to herself, was she? Something was happening, and it was being done to her against her will. And it was an evil spirit, and it's called a spirit of infirmity. And because you have a spirit of infirmity, it doesn't mean you couldn't walk in here today. You walked in here today, but it doesn't mean that you're free. You walked in here today and praise God a little bit, but it doesn't mean you're free. You're not using a cane or a wheelchair, but it doesn't mean you're free. You've, you've never been on a pair of crutches, but it doesn't mean that you're free. It doesn't mean that you're whole. It doesn't mean you're well. It doesn't mean you're strong. It doesn't mean you can work with efficiency. It doesn't mean that you're able to be who God really designed for you to be. So the first time in her life now, uh, she's able to do what God has called her to do. The first time in 18 years. And something happened. Something happened to her. And when it happened, the result was more than what people would think. And people would look at it and they would say, well, it's this or it's that or it's the other. But there was something extra that happened on top of this that created a situation where she was crippled. And from that point forward, she was not able to function as God created her to function. Now, I want to get into some things today that I believe are going to help all of us to be able to see how much God wants us to be free. There, there are people in this room right now that are crippled by a spirit of fear. And you put on a good show, but there are things you don't do and won't do because you're afraid. And it's more than just, it's more than just some kind of psychological problem. This thing is deeper than that. You try to talk yourself out of it. You try to counsel yourself, reason with yourself. Maybe you've even gotten pro professional help to try to help you to be able to resolve this or try to figure out how to get over it. And nothing really works. You're still in the pit of your stomach. There are things that just terrify you. And it's an irrational fear. It's irrational because it doesn't make sense. It's irrational because you don't know where it came from and you don't know why it's there. You're digging around, trying to search around and figure out. And you just think, well, it's just the way that I am. So I'm going to function to the best of my ability. Even if it's only 50%, I'm going to do whatever I can do. And I'm just going to thank God that I can do that. And I'm just going to learn to live with this, just like this woman did. But the fact is, fear has crippled you and kept you from being able to do what God has called you to do. And you avoid things that involve anything that causes that thing to start to stir up. And you check with it before you do anything. Before you say yes, before you, before you accept an invitation, before you, you check with it. And if it, if it will leave you alone, then you'll do it. But if it rises up and starts to roar a little bit or stir a little bit, then you back right off and you do what it tells you to do instead of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And a spirit of fear can come on people at such an early age that they have no conscious memory of when this thing got a hold of them, but it's a spirit of infirmity. It's not a psychological problem, it's a devil. You can't counsel devils, you can't teach devils, you can't convince devils to do anything but be devilish. That's what they do. And so a spirit of fear will not respond to any of our pleadings. It will not respond to any of our counselings. It will not respond to time. It will not respond to anything. It has to be driven out. It has to be cast out. The word of God has to be spoken. And the spirit of God, Jesus himself, has to touch somebody for that thing to come off and for that person to be set free. So fear is a taskmaster. It's a slave driver. It's an oppressive thing. It's, it's a spirit. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And so there, there, are, there are women who are terrified. 
But I'll tell you what, there are, there are lots of men who are terrified. Absolutely terrified. And the spirit of fear keeps them from doing just about anything that God has really called them to do because they're afraid they'll look stupid. They're afraid that they will fail. They're afraid they're not a real man. They're afraid of all kinds of stuff. And fear, fear will create a scenario very similar to what this woman is experiencing and it will cause people to have a spirit of infirmity and they'll walk through life crippled. There are people that have been sexually abused, male and female, and sexual abuse is on the rise. And because of all of the last, whatever, 50 years of sexual liberation, it has not liberated anybody, but it has opened the door for sexual abuse and sexual problems in people's lives that have caused them to not be able to function like a normal person. And it's so bad that sometimes people can't even tell what gender they are. And it's because there's a spirit of infirmity that has crippled them. And men cannot be real men and women cannot be real women. And we can't function the way God has called us to function. And the door to this kind of stuff gets opened at a very early age, earlier and earlier these days, through exposure to pornography and then also experimentation that's taking place at a younger and younger age. And people think this stuff is just physical or they think it's just recreational, but it is spiritual and there are spiritual devils that are attached to that and when they get their hooks into somebody, that person will be crippled. And it's the devil's desire to cripple them for life. So they'll only be able to function halfway and not be free to do what God has called them to do and be who God has called them to be. There are people that have been so shattered by divorce that divorce, and, and you can read studies on this because they have really good ones and extensive ones that have been done for many, many years now that show that divorce can have such a shattering effect on a person's life. Not to uh, say a word today to uh, condemn anybody that's gone through divorce, but just to say that the devil will use that. And he'll use that phenomenon that takes place in a family to cripple people so that young people will be absolutely unable to function coming out of a divorced environment. They just can't function. It's like, I can't get over this. I can't. From the moment that this happened, something came on them, and now they're oppressed, and now they're crippled. It's like a crippling force, and, and uh, nobody, nobody thinks about that. Nobody wants that to happen. There are people that are going through things right now of no uh, desire of their own. It's not of their making. They didn't want that, but it's happening. And the devil wants to use that in any way that he possibly can to make sure that he creates another generation of crippled individuals who cannot function in marriage, who cannot function in life, who just simply cannot. They want to with all of their heart. They des the desires don't go away. This woman's desire to stand up straight never went away. It just She just couldn't do it. She just couldn't do it until that spirit was broken off of her. People go through things that are violent, violent trauma, violent accidents, violent assaults. We deal with people that have PTSD in our community that have been in combat situations because our Marines have been deployed back to back to back to back to back repeatedly over the last several years. So these guys come home, they've seen things, they've done things, and they just can't cope with it. And they were fine when they left, and they come back, and now they can't function. Now they can't sleep. Now they're absolutely constantly on edge. They have nightmares all night long. Their, their, their family is suffering and it's, it's the result of some violent thing, some trauma that took place in their life. And the devil will not 
pass up an opportunity. He will not pass up a trauma. He will not pass up an opportunity. And I'm not saying that everything that happens in our life that we're afraid of, everything, every fear we have is of the devil. I'm not saying that everybody uh, that goes through a divorce situation is automatically, none of this is automatic. I'm just saying that the devil will pick and choose and watch and wait and he knows the individuals and the families involved and he will do what he needs to do to make sure that you're crippled. And you could, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm telling you that he's done that for me. And I'm up here preaching, but I'm telling you I want to be made whole. I'm up here preaching the gospel, but I want to be healed. I want to be delivered. I don't want to be bent double or halfway in any area of my life. And if that's going to happen, I've got to get the healing power of Jesus Christ on my life. There's some stuff in the inner man that's got to be touched. It's got to be addressed. It can't be superficial. It's not going to come by medication. It's not going to come by counseling. It's not going to come because time passes. It's going to, be, it's going to come because Jesus touches. The touch of God comes on our life. And then the healing power begins to come. People can suffer from shame. And shame will come on people's lives. And shame will produce all different kinds of fruit. There are men in this room who are crippled by anger. And they're so angry that they're always at the boiling point. They're constantly angry about something. Everything sets them off. You just got to walk on eggshells. You got to say, shh, daddy's home. Because they're just angry. Anything will get them. They're very touchy. They're, they're, people say, well, he's prideful. The reason that he manifests that is because on the inside of him, there's something that is just boiling. There's just some anger there that's boiling. And so there's road rage and there's all kinds of things that take place in people's lives. There was a story that is a true story that's connected to a ministry that we've used at our church called Ancient Paths. There was a man there that uh, went to the, 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 the seminar and he was trying to get some help and he knew that he needed some help. He had uh, gotten married later in life. He was 38 years old before he got married. He'd always had problems with anger. It had cost him jobs. It had cost him relationships. He, he wasn't able to really function in a healthy way. He was really a crippled person. He wasn't in a wheelchair, but he was so overwhelmed by anger that he might as well have been. He just couldn't function like a, like a healthy man in any way, shape, or form, even though he wanted to. He wanted to have a wife. He wanted to have a family. Finally, at the age of 38, he gets married. He's able to kind of get a handle on his anger enough that he's able to stick with one woman long enough to not blow up on her so many times that she's scared off. And he marries her, and they have a child. And in, in, uh, this child went through a period of colic or whatever and uh, sleepless nights. And, and his wife, one night when the baby started to cry, instead of getting up instantly to quiet the baby or to attend to the child, she just was so unconscious that she just didn't hear the child crying. And the child cried and cried and cried, and the, his wife did not get up. And he threw the covers off the bed and leaped out of, out, of, out of bed and raced into the child's room and was about ready to seize this little baby when his wife was able to cut him off and get in between him and the crib and grab a hold of him and said, I'll get the baby, I'll get the baby. And he knew in that moment that what he was about to do was pick up that child and just throw it against the wall. And he said, that scared me so bad that I finally have realized I cannot go on like this. I've got to get some help. I've got to talk to somebody. And so in ministering to this man, the, 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 the spiritual leader there that was involved in, in helping him, and God used this leader to help this man, he said, Let, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to reveal what happened. Because something happened to you. Just like that woman, 18 years before, something had happened. Nobody knew what it was, but I know that Jesus knew exactly what it was. 
And if, he were, if we had been standing there, we could have asked him, and so what did you see, Jesus, when you looked at her? And he would have said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it was. 18 years ago, this is what happened. And when that happened, it opened her up, and a spirit of infirmity came upon her, and she's been doubled over ever since. And he would, he would say, and I can name the spirit, and I know exactly what it was, and I know exactly when it happened. God knows exactly when it happened to you. He knows exactly when it happened to me. He knows exactly the moment that that thing, that one thing, whatever it might, not everything, not all things in life, but that thing that has caused you to be not strong, not well, not able to function at 100%, but you've rationalized it, you're coping with it, you're coping with it so well that nobody even knows you have a problem, but you know that there's something that has crippled you in your life, and the results are there, the manifestations are there, but you're still making it, you're still chugging along, you're still trying to serve God the best you can. Jesus would have been able to tell exactly what it was. They prayed, the man saw nothing. He said, I don't see anything, I don't hear anything, I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm this way. Let's pray again. He prayed again. Well, do you see anything? Do you hear anything? Did the Holy Spirit reveal anything to you? Not a thing. Are you sure? Well, there's just this one thing. Well, what is that one thing? Well, he said, it's, it has nothing to do with my anger. It has nothing to do with any of this stuff that I'm dealing with. I don't even know why I'm, I, don't, I haven't thought of this for a long, long time. It was my ninth birthday. I'm just, all of a sudden, I'm remembering my ninth birthday. Well, what happened on your ninth birthday? Well, you know, it's my ninth birthday. Well, you know, tell me what happened. Well, okay, I'll tell you what happened. What, what happened was uh, uh, I had all my little friends over. We were sitting around the kitchen table in the morning after we'd had a sleepover. We're nine years old. I got all my little nine-year-old friends around the table, and we're eating breakfast. And my dad comes down the stairs with all of my wet bed clothes and throws them down on the kitchen floor and, and begins, to, uh, begins to use that moment uh, to reveal to all of my nine-year-old friends that I wet the bed. And, of course, Dad is doing that because Dad is at his wit's end. You know, he's washed clothes and washed blankets and washed wet bed clothes until he's just sick of it. And he's talked to the kid, and he's, he's figuring that the kid's nine years old. It's time for this kid to grow up. It's time for this to stop. He just needs to get his lazy behind out of bed and go to the bathroom at night. And that's what needs to happen. And I'm going to motivate him. And the best way for me to help him and the best way for me to motivate him is to shame him in front of all of his friends. And that will provide the kick in the pants that this kid needs to straighten up and quit wetting the bed. And this guy said, from that moment on, I hated my dad with every fiber of my being and I wanted to kill him. He said, I was only nine years old, so I couldn't do it, but I wanted to kill him. And he said, in my mind, I've killed him over and over and over again many, many, many times. I hated him so bad. I've hated him ever since. And then, of course, the person that was ministering to him said, well, I think this has a lot to do with what's going on in your life right now. I don't think this ninth birthday party is unrelated to the problem that we're dealing with right now. This is the thing that has crippled you your entire life. Anger and rage, murder. The Bible says that anger and murder are just like synonymous. That thing has been on you. That spirit came on you and... And that thing has made you a cripple. And you've not been able to function like a healthy man ever since. You've not been able to control yourself. You've not been able to have jobs. You've not been able to be a father. You've not been able to, to be a husband. This thing is, is, is on you, crippling you, and keeping you from being who God has created you to be. And, of course, he was ministered to, and the power of God showed up, and deliverance came, and his life was completely and forever changed. But it came because a spirit of infirmity was lifted off just like a spirit of infirmity 
was lifted off this person's life. There are people in this room that feel like they've been rejected. And they can't even remember when they started feeling that way, but it just feels like everything they do, it's not good enough. And they've just been rejected and rejected and rejected, and they, have a, they anticipate being rejected. And some people are so good at being rejected that before they're rejected, they reject. And I'm not going to wait around to be rejected. I'll dump you before you dump me. I'm going to break my friendship with you before you break your friendship with me. If they even see the slightest warning sign or what they interpret to be a warning sign, like, look out, you're about to be rejected, they will instantly jump in and quit their job before they get fired, even though nobody's going to fire them. They will quit their marriage before it even hardly gets started because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce you before you divorce me. I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. And so rejection then now has crippled this person. They can't have normal relationships with anybody. They can't work. They can't have family. They can't get along with anybody. They can't function in any setting because rejection is always there. Nobody's going to like me. Or if they do like me, they're not going to like me for very long. Or if they were to really know me, they would surely reject me. So they're always fake and they're always putting on a facade because they can't ever let anybody see them, you know, without the mask. Because if they see who I really am, they'll hate me. I know they'll hate me. And so they live with the, the terror of being discovered and found out to be a phony or to be a person who's not as they appear. And this thing is crippling and keeps them from being able to be free and to flow and to function in life. There are people that go through disappointments and they had such high hopes and high expectations and then disappointment came and the disappointment was big enough and it was strong enough and it cut deep enough that from that point forward they've avoided doing anything that might result in disappointment. I'm, I'm not going to try to go to college because I might fail and then I'd be so disappointed and then I would just die, I just couldn't take it. So I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm not going to go in that direction because I'm, it might not work out. And if it doesn't work out, then I just couldn't take it. I just couldn't handle it. I'd be so disappointed. It would just, so they never take a risk. They never ever step out in faith. They sit in a church like this and faith is preached over and over and over again. But they never exercise any because it would mean risk taking. Because that's, faith is really spelled R-I-S-K. And you got to step out and trust God. And at some point, you got to do it. But a person who is crippled by that spirit will never do it. There's something called perfectionism that I know quite a bit about. I can remember when I was uh, a music student in college and during the time that my wife and I were getting together, I can remember having a, a, a teacher who was my faculty advisor. And he was my voice teacher, my voice coach. And so I met with him constantly and, and worked with him very closely and, and hours and hours and hours and just coaching, teaching, recitals and, and practice room and things like that. And, and I, I can remember um, my comments constantly, my self-critique. I was, I, was, I was so hard on myself. I was never satisfied with anything that I did. No matter what I did, it was never good enough. And, and he helped me tremendously at that season of my life to understand that there was something... There was something crippling about my attitude. There was something that wasn't right about what was going on in my mind and what was going on in my heart. And he, he helped me to understand the truth in a way that I wasn't able to understand it before. And I respected him and I knew that he knew what he was talking about. But he went beyond just being my faculty advisor and a college professor. 
and he became my friend and he also became someone who ministered to me and helped to get me free er from this perfectionism thing that can never be satisfied with anything and I can remember just as as that began to sink into me the peace that started to come over me and I was able to work hard and still have uh, aspirations to do my work with excellence and to be the best that I could possibly be and live up fully to my capabilities I, I didn't become lazy I didn't become complacent I didn't settle for just being mediocre I still wanted to be excellent but I, I didn't torture myself and torment myself anymore because I wasn't perfect because I'll tell you what there's only one who is perfect and when we go around trying to be him then we run into all kinds of disappointments and all kinds of problems amen there's only one place that is perfect and guess what it's not here it's not here uh, it, it, we're, we're gonna live in that place forever and ever and ever where everything's gonna be perfect no mistakes every hair in place amen everybody beautiful everybody perfect every day no bad breath amen no uh, uh, no no need to worry about you know uh, that middle-aged spread guys will all be wearing six-packs amen looking good I mean that day is gonna come but it's not gonna come here and and the Bible says that he came that I might have life and I might have it more abundantly he came to fill me with joy and perfectionism will not allow me to do that perfectionism won't allow me to receive a compliment and I can remember just he would challenge me on this too and uh, and and he would point out he would mimic some of the things that I would do if somebody said if somebody said man that was great I would point out all the reasons why it wasn't have you ever tried to compliment somebody and all they do is respond with all the reasons why you're an idiot for saying that doesn't that make you just want to say well forget you then you know I'm never gonna compliment you again because when I try to edify you I try to encourage you like the Bible says you won't receive it all you can talk about is how how uh, oh this old thing that I'm wearing yeah this old dumb thing I picked this up off the floor or I got this at the bargain you know whatever and you you can't just say well thank you very much that really encourages me thank you for saying that and and you you want to find some flaw in yourself and they're not looking for flaws they're looking to bless you they're sincere they genuinely believe what they're saying and wouldn't it be great if you could believe what they're saying instead of pushing it away and fighting them off and constantly stifling the encouragement that God wants to bring you through other people's lives wouldn't it be great to be able to talk to people and not constantly be looking at uh, something about them that isn't right something doesn't look right something doesn't sound right wouldn't it be great to be free and just to love them and to have that thing come off of your life and of course when you were raised in a home and I was raised in a home where things had to be done right and so I, I endured a lot of criticism and and my parents loved me but I, I endured a lot of criticism well this isn't right and if, if I brought home a B it should have been an A and you don't bring home a C and you do have to bring your report card to the dinner table you should never mix report cards and dinner that's a recipe for an upset stomach right there you just wanna don't, don't mix those two things together don't drag your kids to the dinner table with their report cards or whatever I don't know how they do it today but but boy we had to show dad our report cards and dad would look them over and I remember sitting there watching him as he'd look through and wondering man I wonder what he's thinking you know I'm, and I know what he's gonna say and if whatever it was it could have been better whatever it was it should have been higher if I got an A couldn't it have been an A plus if I got a B it should have been an A if I got a C I was in trouble you just don't do that you just that's not acceptable and those things get ingrained in us and there are things that 
happen to us where we'll run up to mom or we'll run up to dad. We don't even remember doing this. And we're all excited and we show them something. We drew a picture. We did this. We did that. We show them. And instead of them saying, oh, honey, that's beautiful. Oh, that's great. Oh, you're so talented. Oh, God has blessed you so much. Mom just points out all the flaws in that. Well, that color's not right, or this isn't right, or, you know, you need to go back and do this again. And something happens in the heart of a small child that causes them to just shrivel up, and, and then the enemy comes in and begins to say, I'm going to take advantage of this wound because I never pass up a wound. I'm going to get into this wound, and I'm going to cling to this wound and make sure it's fresh every day for the rest of their life, and they'll be crippled, and they won't dare to do this, and, they, and I'll stifle their creativity, and I'll convince them that no matter what they do, they might as well give up because everybody else will do it better, so let them do it. And think about what that does to cripple the body of Christ. And my wife and I know a lot about this because we both come from backgrounds where perfectionism was ingrained in us. And there have been times when that has made for some intense fellowship between her and me. Because she looks perfect, and all, she almost is, and I'm not. And so there are times when just the expectations, well, you needed to, and I, well, I thought you were, and so we, we'll go back and forth, both of us having high standards, both of us being very demanding of ourselves, wanting things to be perfect, and God's had to help us with grace to be able to say, listen, I'm not, I, I, I'm going to live free of that kind of tyranny. I'm going to live free. I'm going to live in peace. I'm going to live in joy. I, that's my birthright. I'm not going to be crippled in this area. I'm just not going to do that. And God's helped us to be able to raise our kids so that our kids, are. we don't want to pass that on to them. We don't want them to be crippled like because crippled people tend to cripple other people. And crippled people tend to pass on the same traits. It's like a genetic thing, only it's spiritual. So if you're crippled in an area, guess what? The only way that if, if you were going to, this woman, if she were going to show her little kids, here's how you stand up, they would have learned that when a person stands up, the way they stand up is halfway. I had a friend whose dad had his leg shot off in World War II. And when he would bowl, his dad had a prosthetic leg. And so his dad would make kind of a stiff, he couldn't bend his knee. So he'd make this real stiff, weird motion when he would, when he would bowl. Guess what? My friend watched his dad bowl all those years, and he bowled exactly the same way that his dad is. Dad did, and he had two good legs. It was the weirdest thing you ever saw in your life. But it was what he saw, and that was, well, that's what was modeled for him. So he bowled as if he had an infirmity. He might as well have had a wooden leg. But he didn't have a wooden leg. He didn't have a prosthesis. But, but he acted like he did. And so many times what we do is we pass this same stuff on to our children, and it goes from generation to generation, and it passes down the family line, and it's a spiritual thing, and it's not part of God's inheritance for us. There are people that, in our congregation, our church is about 50, uh, 50 black and white. We have Asians, and we have uh, lots of Hispanics because it's a military community, and there are people from all over the world that are there, even though it's you know, a, a, a small town uh, on, on the coast of North Carolina. It couldn't be more cosmopolitan. I mean, you might as well be in, in uh, Manhattan, you know, walking down the sidewalk because you're going to see people and hear languages from all over the world. And so our, our congregation is very mixed. And uh, one of the things that, you know, we have seen is how God has been able to give grace for us to worship, to be friends, to love one another, and to flow together 
uh, in a way that is free of, of the prejudice and the bigotry that oftentimes is, is common in other parts of the country, in other, other cities, other communities. And so racism can be the type of thing that will cripple a person and destroy their ability to have the kinds of relationships that God wants them to have. And it will rob them of the fellowship that they're supposed to have. It will rob them of the joy and the blessing of being able to be friends and being close in fellowship with people that are of a different skin color, that come from a different culture, that come from a different background. Our oldest daughter is married to an African-American young man. Our youngest daughter is going to be married to a, uh, a young man who's mixed. And, uh, and so our, our kids have grown up in an environment that has been free of that spirit of racism, and they're just not crippled by that at all. They're so free that when they look at people who are crippled by it, they feel sorry for them, and they can't understand why they can't get better. But oftentimes they can't get better because the devil has put that infirmity on them, and it won't, it won't come off through laws. You can't pass a law to get a devil to come off a racist. You can pass, now, now laws are necessary because man is wicked, all right? So, so uh, we're not naive about that. So I'm not saying that laws are, are not necessary. I'm just saying that they're not the answer. Just like the laws against thieving are not the answer for the thief, the thief needs to be delivered from being a thief and needs to have his heart changed, amen? But until he does, we need to have some law enforcement out there and some laws on the books regarding thievery. But the answer is not in the law. The answer is in the spirit of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when that begins to move in people's lives, then under, when you're operating under that, there is no law. You, you, you don't need to operate in, in, a, in a sense of whether it's illegal or, or not because that isn't, that isn't where you're at. So the good news of the gospel is that even though this woman was struggling with all of these things, it was clearly not God's will for her life. If it was God's will for her life, then Jesus went against God's will by setting her free and healing her. So we know that it was God's will for her to be whole, just like I know that it's God's will for me to be whole. It's not God's will for me to be crippled. It's God's will for me to be free to function fully as God created me to function, using all of my gifts, all of my abilities, all the things that have happened to me in my experiences, even the bad things, in a way that is free to be a blessing to the world and to be a blessing to the people that I minister to, and especially to my wife and to my family. So Jesus didn't say, well, you're just going to have to cope with this. You're just going to have to accept what you cannot change. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, 38, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the whole purpose of this message today is to point out the fact that we're not necessarily looking for people that are frothing at the mouth and rolling on the floor because they're demon-possessed. Because this woman wasn't doing any of those things. And we're not necessarily thinking about people that are not in the local church because this woman was in the local church and it's very likely that she had been coming to church consistently for all of those 18 long years. It's, it's not because we're looking for people that are rolling in here in a, in a wheelchair or, or they're coming in here with a cane or they're coming in here on a walker or on, on crutches. We're not looking at that. We're looking at the fact that infirmity and a spirit of infirmity is something that might be the source of what you've been running from and you've been dealing with and what's been holding you back all of these years. And that's not bad news to realize that because the good news is that Jesus has an answer for that problem and that that answer is found in the Word of God and in the touch 
that he wants to bring upon each person so that you'll be set free and you'll be healed. You won't be living out of the, those past hurts anymore and those past disappointments, but you'll be walking in a place where you can function like God created you to function. Rage is not going to control your life, but you're going to be free to walk in peace and your soul is going to be quiet instead of always in turmoil. You're not going to be tore up by fear all the time and unable to travel and unable to do this and unable to speak and unable to function, unable to confront, unable to teach. You're going to be able to do what God has called you to do because you're free from a spirit of fear and you're walking in that spirit of love and power and of a sound mind that Jesus said that we all possess in him. Amen? And freedom is our birthright. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free. You're born again to be a free person. Amen? To be free from all of these isms and all of these things and uh, free from all of this stuff that the devil has put on people from the very beginning of their life as early as he possibly could. So they struggle with their self-esteem. They struggle with their feelings of self-worth. They lack confidence. They lack boldness. They lack initiative. And they just cope. And they live their life as a child of God with coping mechanisms. I'm coping with this and I'm coping with that. They don't even think about being an overcomer. They don't even think about being more than a conqueror. This woman had lost many years ago, probably, the thought that she was ever going to stand up straight. But one day, one day when she came to church, Jesus showed up and touched her. And that was a day that marked and changed her life for the rest of her life because she was set free from a spirit of infirmity. And God has given us power and authority to tread upon these kinds of devils and to set the captives free. And no house of God should ever tolerate this kind of thing. We love people. We accept everybody. But when we see a devil like that, just like Jesus did, that's when we go into action and say, you're coming out in Jesus' name. Come off of her in Jesus' name. Come out of him in Jesus' name. And we begin to believe and see the power of God in manifestation in people's lives. And you'll no longer be known as that individual that could only function halfway. She lost that label that day. There goes the woman that can only stand up halfway. There goes the woman that's bent over double. From that moment on, she became a testimony. She became a story that was told repeatedly over and over again. You see that lady standing up straight, striding down the road? She used to be a cripple, but now she's strong and whole by the power of Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 So, Nikki, you got to help me with he touched me. Amen. And we got to get these guys back up here again. He touched me and made me what? Whole. He touched me and made me whole. At some point, the touch of the Lord has got to go deeper than just, you know, a, a chill or a, a shiver, you know, a little shaken. It's got to go deeper than that. It's got to penetrate into that spot where there's an infirmity. You never thought of yourself as being a person with an infirmity, did you? You just look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm, I'm well, I'm fine, I'm good. Look at me. I got dressed this morning. I came to church. I go to church every Sunday. There's nothing wrong with me. Really? Really? But what if there is? What if it's rooted in what we talked about today? What would you do? What would you have faith for? After what we've preached, what would you do? Would you say, well, I'll just cope with it. Or I'll just keep it real quiet. I'll just sit real still because I wouldn't want anybody to know. Because nobody knows. I've never told anybody about this. I've never opened up about this. 
And so let's just keep it that way. That's how the devil would like you to operate. He'd like you to say, no, just sit still. Just sit still. The meeting will be over soon. And that, that little, that little uh, guy will go back to North Carolina. And you can just carry on like you've been carrying on and no one will know. You could operate that way. You could take that position. Or you could say, Lord, touch me. Heal me. Deliver me. I don't pretend to know you and I don't pretend to know uh, anything about your past or anything about what you've been through. But I know what I've been through. And I know what the devil's tried to do with me. And I know how much God has helped me and how much God has set me free. And I'm, I'm, I'm not done by any means. I haven't arrived. But I'll tell you what, I believe this message that I'm preaching and I've experienced it to a degree and I'm hungry for the whole deal. Amen? I'm hungry to experience it all and walk in freedom and walk in the power of the Holy Ghost in ways that I never have before. Don't just sit there and say, well, it's just the way I am. It's the way I've always been. It's just the way it is. It's probably the way it'll always be. Let's believe God to make a change today. Let's believe God to do what he says that he'll do. Amen? Let's believe that what we preached about today, we're going to get a response from heaven because the word won't return void or empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. Amen? So that men can get free. Men can get free from shame. They can get free from insecurity. They can get free from anger. They can get free from lust. Amen? Confusion. So that women can get healed. God can touch you and bless you. And you can function in power and function in wholeness and confidence and boldness. Wouldn't that be awesome? No more comparing yourself to other women. No more hating yourself because you're not perfect and you don't look like this one and you don't look like that one. No more of that. To be free. To say, I'm not terrorized anymore by the mirror. I'm not terrorized anymore by the scale. Praise God, I'm free. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we're singing this. I want you to come and we're going to pray. And we're just going to wait a moment while we sing for you to come. And then we're going to pray for you and believe God to touch your life and profoundly change you from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Let's believe God for that. You come while we're singing.
praise the Lord. Ladies, I want you to lift your hands now, all the ladies that are here at the front. Would you raise your hands, please? And I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I receive deliverance. I receive the touch of Jesus. Set me free. Loose me. Spirit of infirmity, get out. Get out. Get out. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Get out. Get out. In the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray for these ladies, each one of them. And in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I declare unto you, woman, thou art loosed. Woman, thou art loosed. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Receive your healing in the mighty name of Jesus. I bind every spirit of infirmity, regardless of its source, the origin, the manifestation, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I command you to go, get out in Jesus' name. Loose your captives and let them go free in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that you heal these women and I declare over these women that they are mighty, fearless, warrior, princesses in the kingdom of God in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, men, would you raise your hands? I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of the blood. Wash me and cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, flow through me to the depths in the past. Go into the past. Go into the secret places, the hidden places, and heal me. I receive healing for my brokenness, my woundedness. I receive healing for my soul. Lord, I thank you for cleansing and healing and making whole. Thank you. I'm a whole man. I'm a healthy man. I'm a strong man. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm free in Jesus' name. Spirit of infirmity, loose me. Loose me. Now, get out. Get out of my life. I break with you. I reject you. I renounce you. Loose me. Now, in Jesus' name. 